Welcome to the FoxSportsFlorida.com Miami Heat Podcast. I'm your host, Surya Fernandez, and with me is Sun Sentinel reporter Ira Winderman. How's it going, Ira? It's going good so far. Uh, the Heat at home a lot, and they need to win at home a lot. Right, and, and I was going to ask you that. How dangerous is this playoff scenario for the Heat? Well, I guess when you've been to the Eastern Conference Finals four years in a row, um, I'm going to go with terrifying. I mean, you look at Indiana, and they're going to get Paul George back, and that appears imminent. You look at Brooklyn, and they found themselves. There's no more Brook Lopez rumors. They know who they are and what they are. Had a big victory the other night, Jared Jack's jump shot winning over the Warriors. Those two teams, for me, I think are the top competition for seven and eight. The uh, Bobcats just announced that Kemba Walker's coming back to practice, so he'll be back. So I think the stakes are raised. I think playing at the lower level teams were through the first four months of the season, I think those teams are going to have to, someone's going to have to step up one or two teams in March and April to assure themselves of a playoff spot. Uh, and the last time that we <coughs> talked, the, the Heat hadn't acquired Goran Dragic yet. I mean, they kind of changed the whole picture. Uh, you know, the, the pace is a little bit faster. They're playing at a different tempo. Uh, but it's still going to be a work in progress. Is that going to affect the heat uh, down the line? No, I, I kind of like what Eric Spolcher says. He, he's like, you can work in progress all you want, but we have to win. We have to play the right way. We have to keep the turnovers down. Yes, they're playing more at pace. They're playing more with the ball out of Dwayne Wade's hand by design. Of course, without Chris Bosh, things still change. Their lack of size in the middle. If Whiteside's getting ejected or Birdman is missing a game with the flu, you can see the issues there. But I kind of like what Eric Spolstra did, really starting with the game against Phoenix. And even before that, they're out of the developmental program. James Ennis not playing as much. Shabazz Napier, he, was, he sat out for a game. Tyler Johnson gets his chance. You know, it, it's cliche to say all hands on deck, but that's where he is. If you produce, you will play now. But this is not, let's get a player ready for this. Let's see what this guy can do. It's kind of fun now because every game is being played for winning and no other reason. Yeah, and I was talking about that with a good friend of mine, uh, versus the, the last four years where, you know, around this time maybe, I wouldn't say it was boring the regular season, but it was a little bit predictable. You, the Heat were going to be at the top of the division. They were going to be either one or two in the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, this season has been a, a roller coaster ride. Is this one of the, the, the wackier seasons that you've covered? I, I mean, mean, it's been all over the place, but it's kind of interesting. If Commissioner Silver got his redone playoffs where the best records go, right now in the West, not only would you have Oklahoma City, you'd have Phoenix, and you'd have New Orleans, and we'd be done talking about the playoffs. Mm. Instead, in the East, for better or for worse, you have teams in Miami and Brooklyn and Charlotte and Indiana and Boston, you know, going down the line there that are still in contention for the playoffs in Detroit. So I think... While, yes, you want the best and the most representative quality teams in your league, I think at the bottom of the East is keeping basketball interest alive in certain cities where I think Boston thought they were tanking and Charlotte thought with their injuries they wouldn't have enough. And in Miami, what the heck, why even bother? So it's going to make it fun. That's another element of this season is, you know, I think people in South Florida have been interesting. They've stopped looking at the standings numbers. They're just looking at the games behind. As long as the Heat are in 7 or 8, it's good. If the Heat go to 9 or 10, it's not good. So more than winning percentage, it's all about security. During a playoff berth. And, and you alluded a couple of minutes ago about maybe possible issues with the Heat if Birdman's in foul trouble or, or injured or has on wide side. You know, he, he, he's not suspended for, for, the, uh, right. for a couple of games now or he's been fined. But do you uh, see any validity to those rumors that maybe the Heat are interested in Javon McGee well, or something like sure. that, another big man? I could see a need for another big man for just what you said. I mean, Birdman's out with a bird flu on Saturday, <laughs> and all of a sudden, Udonis Haslam can't start because he has to be the first big off the bench. Right. Hassan Whiteside gets ejected in the game against the Suns, and all of a sudden, you're looking at a situation, can Birdman play the final 16 minutes? He couldn't. But here's the deal. If you bring in someone the level of a, 
of an Andre Blatch or a JaVale McGee, are they going to be willing to be the third center? Or are you going to have to rework your rotation again? I don't think this team could afford that. I don't think they could play rotation or go-go through the rest of the season. So I think you, you need another big. I don't know if it has to be Andre Blotch. I don't know if it has to be Javal McGee. But I can see the reasons. But the other part of it is part B. You're at 15 players already. Do you right. let Henry Walker go? Do you let Michael Beasley go? You know Zoran Dragic, no matter what you could say about a package deal with his brother, has another guaranteed year in his contract. You can't let him go because of that, because of salary cap and other options you have down the road. So it's a matter of probably does Henry Walker go for another big? Personally, I think if Michael Beasley is playing well enough, and if you have any confidence that James Ennis in a pinch can hit a three-pointer, then I'd say, yeah, I'd rather have one more big on this roster. And, and, and speaking of Beasley, and, and of course uh, Walker as well, uh, are those you know, players that can really uh, help the Heat down the line? Or you know, uh, they might show some you know, uh, good games here and there, but do they, can they really fill that roster spot no, maybe, and then find you, maybe you've, a better You've hit that player. exactly on the head. Yeah. Bill Walker against Orlando, magical, even though he had a terrible shooting night with those two three-pointers. Michael Beasley steps up big against Phoenix, so does Tyler Johnson. What they have to find out soon enough, though, is can they do it two or three times a week, not just once a week, because you're cycling through everyone. You want to get back. There was a point in the game against Phoenix where Eric Spolster went 11 players deep in the first quarter. You don't win that way in the NBA. You win, as Pat Riley always said, play eight, you know, count on seven, trust five. That's pretty much what it is. You want to find out who are the eight men we're going to play. If you're going to start with Haslam at power forward and you're going to play Birdman as your first big off the bench, you've got to figure out who your first guard is going to be off the bench, who your first swing man is going to be off the bench, and really tighten that rotation. Could it be Tyler Johnson and Michael Beasley? Absolutely. But you have to get to that point sooner rather than later, factoring in, of course, Mario Chalmers as well. It, and, it's a, and it's a small sample size, but do you think Beasley really has changed? Do you think he's changed his game? Because I've noticed the last couple of games... Uh, he's put a lot more dedication on the defensive side. Yeah, he's working defensively because he knows that's what it takes. And let's right. face it, Michael Beasley knows the defensive system here. Michael Beasley athletically is capable of playing it. Michael Beasley tends to wander, tends to lose focus. So you can ask me all you want. Does Michael Beasley have, is a better defensive player? Well, the only way you know if someone retains focus is over time. Over time in a game, when he doesn't turn his head and his man is gone for a backdoor layup like we saw against New Orleans. Over a series of games where all of a sudden he doesn't take a day day off. So we have to see with Michael Beasley, is there an attention deficit or can he keep his attention through these final 20 plus games of the season? And, and when do you think that the Spolster will settle on a rotation? Because, I mean, the games, there's not that many games left. He'll settle on a rotation when his players make him settle on a rotation. Right. If Tyler Johnson and Michael Beasley play well, and, and Mario Chalmers, who I think has played well enough off the bench in a six-man role, mm-hmm. and Birdman, there's your nine players. You're done. You're set. Everyone else, watch the game, enjoy the game. Thank you, Henry Walker. Maybe you'll get another contract after this. Maybe you won't. And you're settled. I think those are the nine players. And then you say to yourself, is there something better than Udonis Haslam starting a power forward? That's where we're talking about the Javal McGee's. That's where we're talking about the Andre Blatt. And remember, as long as you were waived by March 1st, you're playoff eligible no matter when you're signed thereafter. 
And uh, do you think the Heat rushed a little bit to sign Michael Beasley? I mean, I'm sure there was factors, as of course, familiarity with the system and all that. And like I just said, there, there's not that much time left in the season. But do you think they should have waited to fill that final no, roster spot? No, I, I think there was a desperation in that game after what happened in Orlando when they shot 20 or you know, 30-something percent. Yeah. If anything was rushed, it might have been the second uh, Henry Walker's 10-day contract. Because that's after JaVal McGee became a free agent. Andre Blatt's still sitting out there. I think they might have rushed into that. But that, that amount of money is so minuscule. The question we're going to be asking now, between now and March 10th, do they spend that $2.65 million disabled player exception for Josh McRoberts, which will put them over the luxury tax if they spend it all? So we'll see the commitment. And again, I personally don't believe you go into the repeater tax when you're battling for number seven and number eight. I think you do that when you're battling for a championship. But remember... March 10th is when that expires. All right, and so that's the front court. But the back court, uh, you were saying that Chalmers has kind of settled into that six-man so, role. Yeah. Uh, really, uh, you know, and Tyler Johnson played well in that last game, but, but Napier kind of gives you a little bit more of a pure point guard. I mean, should he settle on one or the other for the rotation or kind of go oh, back and I, forth? I think your top three guards clearly are Wade, Drogic, and, and Chalmers, and you see that because when they play their three-guard offense, which they're playing a lot right now, it's right. those three. So then you're saying, who's the fourth guard right there? Well, let's face it. Chalmers can be a playmaker. Drogic can be a playmaker. Dwayne likes to be a playmaker maybe too much. I think Tyler Johnson gives you more of an overall package than Napier. And in this league, if, if the opponent doesn't respect your shooting, you're in trouble. We know after that game against Phoenix, opponents, they see tape, they've heard about it. Who the heck is Tyler Johnson? Why do you mean he's not the hockey player for the Lightning? There's one in basketball also. They will respect him now. I think with Napier, when he's standing out there at the three-point line with an 18-footer, they're like, go ahead and shoot. Let's see if he can even draw iron. Uh, and uh, Hassan Whiteside, um, yeah, is there more to his game? Because he, he keeps on showing more and more. Uh, and, you know, Dwayne Wade said also that he kind of liked that, that little that the chippiness and all yeah, that. You have to see that. You, you have to draw the line. The one thing that he'd also realize is maybe against the Phoenix you can lose Hassan Whiteside for the last quarter and a half, but you can't against the Cavaliers no. yeah. or against Washington, you know, when you have a Gortat and an NA or some teams in the Western Conference. So learn your lessons there. Control your temper. And i got to tell you, those of us who have watched Assad from the get-go always have noticed he's a little too effusive on his dunks. And opponents don't like that. Right. And there is a certain quote-unquote respect for the game in play. And I think opponents are letting him know, celebrate your moment and then move on, young man. If you keep celebrating, we're coming right back at you. There have been a few times this season I've been very surprised when Hassan did not get a hanging-on-the-rim technical right. yeah. because I'd say probably maybe five or ten cases of that already. This is all part of that. Stop the showmanship. Show your game. That's what's going to get you ahead in this league. Right. And... Um, as far as the team, is it wise for them to really push the pace too much with Dragic at the helm? Or is it really a case of that Dragic needs to get more accustomed to the team? Or does the team you need know, to get more accustomed? You know, it's funny. I, a lot of people have been saying that. Can, can he drag these guys down the court? He only has one speed. He's, he's like, you, you sit in the car. It's not stick shift. There's just drive. There's not drive one, two, or three. He's going to play his speed. If someone would like to run with him, terrific. If not, he will drive in, see the advantage he has. But I don't think there's any way to control that. I think he plays at one speed. He is turbocharged. You don't want to ch you change that. You get guys playing along. The key here is this. But the other guys, don't play at his speed if you can't. We've seen a bunch of high turnover games lately. Why? Because everyone's getting caught up in that. No, that's what he does well. Let him do that. But Mario Chalmers and Michael Beasley and Henry Walker and Dwayne Wade, that's not your speed. You play at your speed. It'll mesh together that way. And looking ahead to the schedule, uh, 
you know, I, I've heard that the, the Heat have one of the easier schedules in, in the NBA. Is that really true, or do you see, you know, a couple well, of tough stretches well, okay. ahead? Well, we're talking about the Heat team that has lost at home to Philadelphia and mm-hmm. has lost to Atlanta and yeah. has lost to Utah. There's no easy games for this team. And, yes, they have right. more home games. The road games are in a great stretch now where you have, I think, it's six of eight or seven of nine at home, but the Heat hasn't made much of that. They're teams they need to beat. It's one thing to go to Washington. You could say that's a tough game. But Sacramento, the game after, you can't lose a game like that. Coming up, you have the Boston and Brooklyn games. Huge games for playoff seedings, for tiebreakers, for conference record, things like that. This is when the little games, the easy games, yes, you might tell me they have an easy schedule, but I'm telling you that Boston and Brooklyn are huger than their games they have left against Cleveland and San Antonio. Right, right. Well, thanks again, once again, for for stopping by, uh, dropping some knowledge, and uh, hopefully we can do this again real soon. Hopefully I didn't go too fast at Roger's speed. Appreciate (laughs) it. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye.